You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Peter King. And today I sit down with, drum roll, uh, my sister, Katie McKinney. She's an incredible educator, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, education. It's an important topic, obviously. There's so much going on in the world of education. Um, as you probably likely know, you know, we have an education system that is fairly antiquated and really built for the 20th century, and here we are in the 21st century, trying to educate our children for a world that changes every month, it seems, and it's probably getting faster and faster. Um, so Katie brings a lifelong uh, commitment to education to the table. She's been a teacher uh, in various places throughout the country, and she's extremely passionate about classical education so much so that she's created her own school and very persuasive in her uh, understanding of it and her passion for it that she convinced uh, me to enroll my two children into her school. So um, I wanted her to share her message and her passion for classical education on this podcast. And I will say this, that I was reluctant to classical education when I first heard about it. It seemed a little antiquated or back uh, you know, uh, it, it seemed like perhaps it wasn't going to be able to meet the future needs for my children. And yet when um, Katie explained really what it is, it opened my eyes to the possibilities. So that's why I wanted to have her on the show and have you think about um, the value of a classical education. And uh, we get into that and a bunch of other things, of course, as always. So please enjoy this particular episode. And I would love it if you would leave a feedback, um, positive review on iTunes. I am now on iTunes. So uh, if you open up your podcast app on your smartphone and go um, do a search for PKX, you'll find the PKX or PK Experience podcast. And uh, I would love any feedback, any uh, positive reviews there. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. With that, let's dive into the call. Here we are with Katie McKinney. All right. Katie McKinney. Katie King McKinney, my sister, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Um, so, you know, I've uh, I've been growing this podcast, and um, one of the areas of interest that I have and want to talk more about is in education, and uh, you certainly have a thing or two to say about education, and I'd love to share your passion and your insights with my audience um, because it's obviously a very important topic. So first and foremost, thanks for taking the time to join me today. You bet. Thank you for yeah. having me. So why don't you tell the listeners just a brief background on what you're up to right now with your new school? So I guess it was uh, 2013, 2014 that, well, I should actually back up about 40, 30 years. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> when we were 10 and 8, and I remember in Connecticut particularly where I was so excited to get a bunch of ditto worksheets for you <laughs> and Johnny and um, was really excited and sat down at the round table by the window facing the front yard and was all excited to do ditto sheets with you all and you would have nothing to do with it. And I think that was the beginning of me someday dreaming about having my own school. Being so a fast forward, Yeah, yes. yeah. Being a teacher and yeah, starting a school. So, um, which if I could just say for all the little brothers, thank you. Like with it, we love being taught by our older sister. Yeah, yeah, I know it's the thrill of your life. So, um, anyway, so you know, a few years back, um, having homeschooled my own kids, I've been in private education. I've been in public school education from California to New Mexico to St. Louis, and um, 
I could tell you why I'm doing it, but basically I just decided I wanted to start a school with our three kids in tow, um, having homeschooled them and, and seeing them in the classical realm. I was doing a little R and D with them, with the classical approach. And I was, I was just, to be honest, floored with what we were accomplishing and what they were absorbing. And I just was like, I'd look around and be like, who just witnessed this? Who, who's, who's with me on this? And nobody was there. And I was like, I've got to share this with more kids. Yeah. And so I just was impelled um, in 2016 to go ahead and, and move forward with this idea, um, partnering with Hillsdale College up in Michigan and using their curriculum and their support. And um, we launched uh, last year was our first year. So we're into our second year. Um, we've got we had 10 kids last year. This year we have 20. Um, and the trend is that we will continue to grow exponentially um, as we uh, add a grade every year. Right. So um, what in your mind, what's wrong with education today? Um, I think it's it's not academically meeting the needs of our kids. I I find that they're they're hungry. And unfortunately, because they're so young and they don't have a lot of experience, they don't know what they're hungry for. But what I'm finding is when they come into our environment and we start feeding them substantial um, academic substance, they thrive and they feel they feel happy. They feel satisfied. They feel challenged. Um, they walk taller. They sit proud more proudly. Um, they're altogether more agreeable. Um, <laughs> If you have a second, I'll tell, I'll tell you a quick story. We had one student who, um, sweet kid, um, he had a rough day. His first day was a, a bit bumpy. And he ended with um, saying, you know, I hate school. I hate this school. Um, I don't ever want to come back here. And and I will say it's a little bit of a bumpy entry for some because it's, it's, it is more demanding academically. Um, and I told him, I said, you know, we don't say hate at this school. That's one of the things we don't do. And so he goes, well, I really, really don't like it here. I said, oh, that's much better. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. And as we, a week later, five days, five school days later, we get ready to go to school and, or we get ready to go home. And he goes, why are we getting our backpacks on? And I said, because it's the end of the day. And he said, wow, that was like one second. And I was like, well, good. I'm glad you had a good day. And then he follows it up with, can I just stay a little longer? And I said, no, you have to go home now. So I think I think at first it might be a shock to the system with with how much we give, but then when they start to 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 eat it and be satisfied, they just they truly hunger for more. Yeah. And it's so satisfying to to watch that. So I think to answer your question though, what's what's not happening? Um, public school has dedicated teachers. I I do not blame the teachers. I think I think they're working their tails off, and I think many of them are frustrated. I think it's honestly it's it's the substance that's being offered has been so watered down, so dumbed down, um, that I have great compassion for them because I feel that they're they're in a battle that they don't have the right tools for, yeah. and I, I I've been there, and it's frustrating. Yeah. So um, it, yeah. It seems, the, the problem seems to be systemic. I mean, I, you know, I I can't even imagine. I mean, I remember watching you go through some of the public school system and, and the change that you were trying to implement and yet you had your hands tied behind your back and it's like, how yeah. the heck are we supposed to educate and teach our kids if the teachers don't have some ability to bring their own creative, inspired vision to the classroom? Like, that's mm -hmm. what I want for my kids. I don't want a drone to teach my children. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it just seems like 
I mean, you've probably heard this before where education, the education system right now is really educating for a 20th century student and mm-hmm. we're in the 21st century and, and how do we bridge that gap and, and what's really missing? What in your mind do you see as the, um, what are you doing in your school now that most schools are missing? Or not doing? Um <sighs> There's so much. It's hard to say where to start. For example, I'll start with literature. Um, because we are a classical school, um, and for your audience who may not know what that means exactly, we 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 pull from the best of the Western tradition of the last 2,500 years. So many of our greatest thinkers were classically trained, from Socrates and Plato all the way up to um, Shakespeare, Mark Twain, uh, the Wright brothers, Walt Disney. These were all classically trained thinkers and innovators. And I think one of the the biggest differences that we do is we read classical literature. Um, That may seem like no big deal, but when you are reading, you know, when you say classical, the reason it's a classic is it, it stood the test of time. When you look at Homer or the Odyssey, they've been around for for 2000 years, there's a, there's a reason why. And humanity doesn't pass something on unless it touches its soul and it, and it has an effect on your life. So when we're reading these classics, they are, they are, they've stood the test of time and there's something excellent and great about them. So we're, we're using the greatest that our humanity has ever known, um, or that humanity has ever known. And so when you do that, it, it touches the soul of the of the student or the individual, um, and it changes them for the better. And um, and so you are, you're able to teach character through that. You're able to teach what excellent writing looks like. You're able to teach um, what uh, profound thinking is all about when you're when you're pulling from these greats, these philosophical giants. Um, comparatively, um, you know, public schools are very much a lot of them are not pulling from the classics anymore and they're pulling from, from modern day literature, which nothing wrong with that. Um, but it hasn't stood the test of time. It hasn't been tested yet. And so we don't know if it's great or if it's twaddle as some people, excuse me, some people call it. So, um, who are those people? I haven't heard that word. <laughs> okay. Well, if you're a Sarah McKenzie fan, fan you've heard the word twaddle. It's just to, it's potato chips and fr- and and chicken fingers compared right. to a steak with amazing asparagus and potatoes right. rotten and whatever. So, <laughs> so and and really, our our culture has been eating French fries and and chicken fingers for a long time. No, that's a that's a good metaphor for sure. And you don't even know you're you're being you're being filled but you're not really being satisfied. Right. And when you read something that's classical, you'll my 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 third grade son last year who read The Princess and the Goblin, it's 100 years old by Evan McDonald. He was crying at the end of it. Wow. And he said, "This is the best book I've ever read." Wow. And then we give him Black Beauty, he's crying at the end of that going, "This is the best book I've ever read." And so it touches you. He'll right. hate I said that. So don't show this to him in 10 years. But it touches your soul yeah. and it it in, in it helps you be a better person yeah. in the end. A and I don't think literature today is doing that. Uh, a few summers ago, last summer, maybe two summers ago, when you were just getting this going and you had me over at your place, and I remember we were sitting out at the picnic table and I remember you talking about this idea of classical education and my gut, like my instant gut reaction to that was it sounds very traditional. It sounds, uh, you know, stagnant or... Um, Dogmatic. Oh, yeah, or old or whatever. And but your description of it was really something that helped sell me on the idea of of 
the value of a classical education because we're being inspired by the greatest. Why would we not, you know, a hundred years from now study Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and some of these other revolutionaries and what they did and how they implement uh, impacted the world? Yep. And that, you know, obviously therefore gets folded into all of uh, human history. And so why would we not look back and say, let's pull out the cream of the crop and study what they did to inspire us to, 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 you know, make an impact on a, on a similar level. Um, another thing that I learned that was really educate, uh, really interesting was, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, as you often have as my older sister. (laughs) Um, Past in the past. (laughs) Right, right. No, I know. Uh, I have to, I have to get a few jobs in. Um, so, uh, that the word educate comes from, I believe the Latin word educar, which means to draw out. And I felt like most of my educational experience was always about cramming in. In fact, that's the word we use. I have to go cram for my finals as like stuff all this information in just to regurgitate it and, and, and hold on to it for you know a few days to get through the test. And then you could ask me those questions today and I have no idea what you know the answers were. Yeah. Um, that to me seems to be the missing piece in education today where in that 20th century model, we're looking to still cram in things so that people can recite facts and figures when, you know, now we have Google, now we have, soon we're probably going to be integrated from an, you know, uh, from a technology standpoint with the internet. Like we are, I saw a video the other day where the, um, we were talking about, you know, are we going to become cyborgs and, and merge with technology? And, and that speaker said, we already are. He's like, look at, look at everybody. We're all walking around with our phone. I think this was Elon Musk, actually. He was saying, we already are cyborgs. You know, if you ask me a question that I don't know, my instant reaction is, hang on a second, let me Google it. So we have this brain in the clouds that we're using for factual information. But what seems like we're really missing is the gift that we all bring as, as a human species, that, that artistic side, the creative side, the innovative side. Um, would you agree with that? Does that sound... Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that is one of the biggest differences for classical education and that it taps into what it means to be a human, Mm -hmm. what it means to have a soul. Mm. And I think that you're going back to your first question, what is missing from, from education today? It doesn't touch our soul and it's not, not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't pull you back for more. If it were a product on the shelf, no one would buy it because it doesn't do anything for you. Mm -hmm. Um, but classical education, um, it, Exactly. It touches your soul and it, and it, it, it pulls at what it means to be alive. Um, and, um, to your question or, you know, what it means to be creative, what it means to be innovative. I think for me, one of the biggest rewards of education is it satisfies curiosity. You have to come to the table wanting to know something. You have to have curiosity and questioning. And, and I, that's something that we do here a ton. And when you actually teach, what's called Socratically, which is with questions. So we are, and it's not just when was the civil war. Okay. That's a very, what we consider, as we say in our teacher world here, that's a level one question. That's a very boring question. And frankly, you know, it's good to know context, context, but beyond that, what good is it? Right. Now the question should be a level three. We actually skip level two. We go to level three and say, okay, what if the civil war had been won by the South? What would our nation look like today? So then not only do you have to know the context of when this happened, but then you have to start synthesizing and analyzing information to be able to answer that question. That is not a question you can get on this phone. No. 
you have to have enough content to be able and logical reasoning to be able to go through and filter what would our country look like today? Would we even have one country today? Um, and how would our world look like? What would our world look like? So classical education to me is is really going beyond this because the, the, whoopsie, sorry. <laughs> Got a little exuberant there. Um, classical education, uh, here's a great analogy or not analogy, a thought. Public education or general, let's just say, even say general, because I, I even see pub, uh, visited private schools that also fall into this category. But um, we think this is enough. And this, this being the phone for those that can't this see the video. Being the, phone, the Google, um, Wikipedia. Technology. Oh, I can get my answer on here. But what this doesn't answer is um, what job should I pick? What, what career would be good for me? Um, you know, who should I marry? What, how many kids should I have? Where should I live? Like, What's my it, calling? What's my calling? Yeah. And and no, this will, no pun intended. Yeah, right. <laughs> this will never answer that. And and you need to have logical thinking skills. You need to have excellent writing and communication skills because we're still human and we still have to have relationships. Yes. So to me, that's that's the beauty of a classical education is it it teaches you that sense of humanity. What's the best? of humanity and then how to then convey it to others so we can all be our best selves. It's amazing to me how how little I knew after I graduated from college. Like there were so many things that I had to learn about life, about relationships, about communication, all the things that you're talking about yeah. that I just never really got in school. I mean, I picked up pieces here and there partly on my own observation or through, you know, trial and error or bumping into stuff or whatever. But, mm -hmm. you know, simple things and you hear this over and over again. There's no basic financial education. How do you how do you apply for a loan? How do you do your taxes? How do you get a lease on an apartment? How do you, you know, should you finance or uh, lease a car? All right. of those questions that are questions that we all run into in the world that have a severe impact, let alone, this is probably yeah. the biggest one right now, a school loan. Should I yeah. get a school loan yeah. to get this education and then spend the next 20, 30 years of my life paying that off? I mean, it's insane. The, the, the school debt has since in the last 10 years, I think has gone up by like a trillion dollars. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. And uh, I'm sure you're aware of this, but, um, you can't, uh, you can't um, remove it. If you went into bankruptcy or if you couldn't make the payments, mm. you cannot get rid of that loan. Um, mm. Some people are calling it indentured servitude. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. are we are bowing down to this yeah. holy, seeming holy grail of this college education when, A, it's not really delivering mm -hmm. and it enslaves you financially. It, it's mm -hmm. insane to me. I mean... Well, and the questions you're asking, like, how do you get a loan and should I lease versus buy? And those are all so you're going to you're going to graduate college or high school and you're not going to know the answer to everything. So yeah. then what is the fallback? The fallback is, do I know how to learn? Right. Do I know how to go find the information and do I know how to go find the truth? Right. Like the Internet is so full of stuff. You have to be able to discern what is factual and what is fictional. And and really, that's something we are constantly working on with our children is, okay, what's the source? Where is it coming from? Is there a bias? Is there not a bias? And how do you get to the point where you get just facts and then you are equipped enough to be a thinker to be able to solve your own problem? Mm -hmm. we, want to, we want to nurture and graduate self-governors, people who can be the boss of themselves and and not be reliant on systems for their for their livelihood mm -hmm. so to speak mm -hmm. so that's an important com uh, component of a classical education yeah for sure it's uh you know one of the reasons why i wanted to have my kids 
go to your school um, for that very reason. Uh, the, the difference between tell me what to think versus how to think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really believe, you know, it's it's hard to know what's going to be, what their reality is going to be like in 20 years, let right. alone five years from now. I mean, our world right. is changing so quickly. Right. Um, have you thought at all about the impact that technology and specifically artificial intelligence is having on our economy and, and culturally? Like, we're approaching... Uh, singularity. Are you familiar with that term? It's a technical term, a techno- technological term. Yes, uh, but give me give me a synopsis on Basically it. Basically, when when man and machine. Uh, well, I'm Merged. sorry. Where well, it's the emergence of it, but it's really when artificial intelligence surpasses human mm. capability. Mm. So okay. the machines are going to be smarter than we are, mm-hmm. uh, d- depending on how you define smart. But yeah. but right. the things that they're able to do isn't just. Uh, calculating yeah. numbers very quickly. Their machines are now creating. They're being creative. They're being artistic. They're it's create they're creating music. They're writing. They're it's insane what mm. this technology is coming down the road. So when I look at that I go, but we don't know what's coming up tomorrow. We're, my children are gonna live in a vastly different world than what mm. I grew up in mm-hmm. and that the education the traditional education system has been preparing their students for. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that my children can adapt and mm-hmm. deal with constant flux because we just don't know anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you thought about the impact that artificial intelligence is going to have? Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think it goes down to a kind of a moral question. Um, you know, we, we are creating this. Um, and I think we have a responsibility to, to think about how is this going to impact our world? And, and, to think about those questions involves a sense of character and a sense of, um, of morality. And, and is this going to be a tool used? You know, obviously there's lots of things out there that people have invented and they don't know how they're going to be used. Um, so it's all the more important that we have a civilization or a populace that has a character and a moral code to be able to guide them to say, um, yeah, this is going to be a great tool and that we can use it and not be enslaved by it, but use it as a tool for good. Um, or this is heading in the wrong direction and I'm either not going to vote for it or support it or buy it um, and and be able to, um, to be still in control. Um, character is such a huge component, I think, of what the future holds. Um, and whether it's AI or whether even this, I mean, I, I was just talking to some leaders yesterday and they were saying, there's so much screen time for our little people right now that they are losing the ability to socially interact yeah. at seven, eight, nine, ten years old. They don't know how to share, get along, how to just converse, how how not to be so self-centered or entitled. That is a huge impact on our culture right now. And we're fighting it right here every single day. I make sure I shake their hand when they walk in the, every morning. I teach them how to shake hands. I teach them how to look me in the eye. Um, and that's that seems very small, but again, if you're cherishing what makes us human, um, hopefully we will not be, um, we will cherish it in the sense that we will value it and we'll protect it. And we'll be thoughtful as we're creating this technology that will not usurp us. Um, So I, I, I mean, I don't have a fast answer other than we need to be in tune with what makes us wonderful and good and, and make sure we protect that. 
Yeah, well, I was at a, uh, a conference a couple of years ago about innovation, and there was a bunch of big Fortune 500 companies there and a couple of billionaire keynote speakers or what have you, and they were talking about the role of technology and how fast things were going and how, how incredible it is. I mean, they were talking about, you know, serving uh, African tribes that are out in the middle of nowhere with drones, you know, pregnant women that needed medicine or pe pregnant women that were having difficulties and they could fly in a drone and have uh, a virtual conversation and a doctor in the States or somewhere else could, could, you know, serve that person, which is amazing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but there was, I had an interesting conversation, one of the breakout sessions where everybody was talking about, you know, how amazing technology is without looking at the potential slippery slope of, well, there's no soul though in these machines. How, and, and I brought up the, um, if you remember that scene in Jurassic Park where, uh, where the Malcolm Gladwell's characters, they're all sitting there and, and they're so excited about, look at what we've done. And, and he kind of stops and he says, you know, in the rush to find out whether or not you could, you never stop to ask yourself whether or not you should. Exactly. And I brought that up to this little round table and, and I was sort of surprised because I'm sitting with, you know, Ivy League graduates and Fortune 500 execs and, and they all kind of just sat there like, oh my gosh, that's a good question. And I'm like, really? Really? That's a good question? Why are you not asking this? I'm a little concerned. See, that's I mean, who am I? I don't, I don't have any... Is I think that that's phenomenal. That's exactly what I'm talking about is, yes. is stopping and thinking. Yeah. And even though we have the capability, we one of our virtues is temperance. And what temperance is, is self-control. It's self-discipline. Mm -hmm. And it's being the governor of yourself, of your thought, mm -hmm. primarily. And the fact that you even pose that question shows you, we don't need to, we shouldn't change just for the sake of change. We should be stopping and slowing down, have temperance, have have control to say, hold on. Is this a right idea? Is this something that's going to benefit humanity? Mm -hmm. And, you know, look at Facebook. There are there are many execs and even Google leaving saying this is not what I signed up to do. Mm -hmm. This is I can't sleep at night because of what's happening. And I don't even have my kids have technology. I'm sending them to Walter schools because they have no technology because they know the effects of it. Mm -hmm. So I think if we had more people like you in those positions saying, OK, great, we can do it. Should we do it? Yeah. That is what we need. And yeah. classical education will foster and nurture that so we have more kids, more students, and more individuals out there asking those questions. You know, characters, it is it is instrumental in the progress of humanity. We could destroy humanity. Does that mean we should? No, of course not. So, but we have to ask those questions. Yeah. How would you define, this is a tough question, but how would you define character and morality? That is a big question. Yeah, because um, I mean that that really gets down to the granular level of, and that's what's hard to program, right? So when program is, and when you talk about artificial intelligence, how do you program that into? We we have it. A two year old has it. You know, there's a level of awareness of spiritual awareness. Yes. That that a an infant has. Yes. That we just can't put our finger on to then therefore program that into something else. So obviously that's a very difficult question, but how do you, maybe you could try to just give a sense of what you mean by character and or morality. Um, I think you kind of touched on it when you have a little person, um, even a one year old who's able to be gentle, you know, they've never gone through school. They don't know how did they learn that? Um, or when they laugh for the first time and they're four or six weeks old and they laugh, how, how did they learn that? It's just something that's innate in them. Um, I think you're right. You touched on it. It is, it's sort of a spiritual quality. Um, and it's that essence 
that morality is that essence of knowing what is good. Um, and obviously in this wonderful country we have, we have freedom of religion. So people are going to all come to their own definition of how you define or where, where does that goodness come from? Um, I believe we have a God that, um, equips us with that, with that understanding and that ability to decide. And you, you know, you think animals, same thing. They don't, they, animals don't have the ability to reason or to say, mm, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. That's not a good idea. They don't necessarily think that. So that's the difference between humans and animals. And I think the difference between humans and, and robots, like you're saying, or AI, they're not, that is not a teachable or a pro, in my opinion, it's not a programmable, um, tool. Yeah. It's, it's something that is, it's not human. Yeah. It's, it's in a different plane. And so I think in essence, education too is similarly, it's, it's trying to touch that non-human part of us. And because that's, what's inspiring to others. When you see the Olympics and you think, see things that are like, they're unachievable in the everyday world, you go, Oh my gosh, that you, uh, that was beautiful. And you say, I want more of that in my life. Mm -hmm. Can we define that? Can we put our finger on it? No, it's hard to say, but it's, it's excellence. And it's, it's on the fringes maybe of the divine. If someone wanted to say that, um, and so I think it's 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 looking for what's good and what's true. We have it up on our school. We we you know we look for the true. We do what's good, and then we see the beautiful. And that to me is is education. Mm -hmm. It's if you want to be a participator in this life, you have to you have to be engaged. You have to ask questions, and you have to be ready to be vulnerable and be excited and inspired. Well, um, the vulnerability to me is a huge piece of that because. The, the creative spirit is one that ha is confronted with, um, you know, rejection, failure, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so building up that inner strength to be able to create uh, and do it fearlessly and unapologetically is uh, not necessarily an overnight thing um, and something that can be cultivated and nurtured, Absolutely. Which, which I think, again, is another failure of our current education system in, the, in a general sense, because people are the, the product of it are people thinking within the boundaries of what they were taught. I yeah. mean, you have many you have lots of very, um, you know, look at the top five companies in the in the country. They're all tech companies for the mm -hmm. most part. I think I think all of them are tech. Um, th their leaders are saying a college education. It means nothing. It doesn't, it, it, we're, there's still so many people that are in the mindset of, I need to build, you know, the right resume and I need to show the right education. And, and it's like, that is losing its value, you know, exponentially year after year after year. And most of the people that are, are extremely successful, and I don't mean just in terms of their bank account, but making an impact on humanity are the yeah. ones that are. A, probably didn't even complete their college education, and B, are thinking outside of that traditional box where it's mm -hmm. like, how do I how do I do the most good? How do I make the most impact? And I don't want to paint it as like this altruistic thing. I know there's some, you know, there, there definitely is greed. They're definitely, like, humans are still humans, and there's there's still a lot of sure. corruption and things like that. Um, but, uh, oh, the other thought that I had, too, just real quick was, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, I was thinking about artificial intelligence and its impact on education and things like that, and 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 how we really are stepping into the place of God because we're we're trying to recreate ourselves essentially. Um, how do we create these autonomous machines that will do what we can do and and have the intelligence and the, and the awareness and the consciousness that we do? And 
it really does put us in a position of God. And I sort of thought of uh, like just from an empathetic standpoint, like, man, God, you know, you went, you've gone through a lot to try to give us the right tools because a lot of us are screwing it up. You know, a lot of us are doing the best we can. A lot of us are making impact, but uh, just kind of a side funny note. But well, yeah, um, in, what to me, what that's all about is, is this, this sense that we are the greatest and there's a lack of humility and a lack of, or, or uh, an abundance of ego. And in education, I think it's interesting. It's if you're going to learn something, you have to be humble because you have to say, I don't know it all. And I have a question because I don't know something. Yeah. And so education um, just invariably invites humility. Yeah. And in order to grow and to progress, you have to have that, again, that vulnerability to say, I don't know the answer. Let me learn that. And, and we do nurture that because as, a, as an adult, we are always faced with things where we don't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. So how do I figure that out? Um, and that's, uh, I think we are at a dangerous point when we start to think, I don't, I don't, there's nothing bigger than me. Yeah. And that's, that is a dangerous point. So I think, uh, I think it was Socrates that said, the only thing I know is that I don't know anything or something like <laughs> that. And, you know, obviously he's, he's revered as somebody who, uh, was one of the most intelligent people ever. But, um, I think that approach of, I don't know everything or I don't know anything, um, it creates openness in the mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you're willing to challenge, um, you know, current beliefs that you might have. Yeah. Whereas when people go into life thinking, well, I already know it all, there's no space for new yeah. information. Right. Um, and they're looking to validate themselves mm-hmm. as opposed to, which I think is a much more healthy approach, challenging ourselves. Let me take yeah. my current version of the truth the best that I know it and throw it up against the wall, throw it up against experience, throw it up against other things to test the veracity of it, to test the stability of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, one of the things that I try to do is I try to go and find out where I don't like, where am I wrong? Show me where I'm wrong. Poke holes into this. Mm-hmm. And that's how I've developed stronger, deeper foundational ideas about things is because I'm constantly looking for how is this not right? Mm-hmm. Um and and I think that helps create stronger a stronger foundation of thought. Yeah, absolutely. That's fabulous. What? Um, thank you, thank you. I, could, <laughs> I want my gold star. <laughs> um, no, it's good. It's, and I think that we do that too. I mean, we we talk about um, you know in history. They're currently talking about the Civil War in the middle school, actually in the the fourth and fifth grades as well. And it's um, fourth and fifth grade. We're not so much focused on. Um, it's it's a different mental time than it is in middle school when they're really challenging and and the kids the questions that they're asking are fabulous and we we actually teach logic at the middle school level because that's the time when kids are starting to become more argumentative or they start to have their own thoughts and they're like I don't know if I want to do it that way or I agree with you and so we teach them how to logically reason through and um and again it, they have to be able to find some truth to anchor themselves on and then start to say, okay, well, what, what else, what do you think? And, and let me test that against what I'm thinking. And, and it does help formulate who they are as an individual. So you're, you're right. You've got to have some humility and then you also have to be a truth seeker to, to balance that out. So yeah, I, I appreciate that. Cause uh, my daughter who's a middle schooler came home the other day and we got into an argument about not an argument, but a, a discussion. And I was like, dang, those, those are good points. <laughs> Sorry. No, <laughs> no, that's exactly what I want for her. But it's, like, well, can I actually, to that point, can I show you something? Yeah, um, please. So 
this is also something I, I fell in love with when I saw the classical approach because it, it taps on and maximizes how humans learn. And, and to your daughter's point and, and my daughter's point, because she's in the same class, actually, um, I think this is really helpful to see. So if, if you can see here. Uh, I, I can see it. But for those that are listening, if you could describe it as your as your Okay. So I we we have this this continuum here of classical education and I divide it into three sections. So we have kindergarten here at the very beginning of the timeline and 12th grade at the very end. And the K through approximately and this is approximate but it's it's pretty true for most kids is that this is what we call the grammar stage and we call it grammar um not because it's just grammar but it's it's a content uh, accumulation period. Mm -hmm. If you remember when your kids are little, they're just sponges and they're soaking up things. Sometimes what you want them to soak up, sometimes words you're like, mm, I don't think that's what I intended you to learn, but right. nonetheless, they're soaking their sponges. So we, as a school and as a, as a, uh, an academic Avenue, we maximize that time. We teach them all their, uh, their phonograms, which are the letter sounds. We teach them mathematics. We teach them uh, where all the countries are, the state capitals, all the presidents, all the info they would need to know. Then when they hit uh, seventh and eighth grade, that is what we call the logic stage. And that's when they start questioning. In Savannah's and Marin's time frame, I have different ideas about this now. And they start arguing, but oftentimes without logic. So we're actually teaching them how to reason and it has to have it has to have a, a, a point of truth in order to reason from that can you think um, of an example of what that means by um logic? okay uh i've been sitting in on some of those logic classes so let me see um um yeah i, I put you on the spot that wasn't yes totally you fair. did um i'm thinking there's there's one they have an example of right now it's uh socrates is a man um, man is immortal, therefore Socrates is mortal. So you have you have this logical reasoning, um, but what if you said, um, uh, you know, John, uh, you say some men are tall, John is tall, therefore John is a man. Um, it, I'm not doing a very good job. No, 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 um, no, that makes sense because it, it challenges them to understand what are the building blocks of an idea. Exactly. And when you put the word, so for example, when you put the word some in front, it doesn't mean all. So you have to be very thoughtful as to how the argument is being presented. Um, and and it, if it's an absolute or is it, um, is it more subjective? So in any case, it's an important time because if you think, think for a second, if you didn't have the ability to reason, that's a very dangerous place to be. Right. Um, you have to be able to reason to be a productive human. Um, so this is this logic component is incredibly important, and and we we hit it right when they're starting to ask those questions. That's and you awesome. Just, this middle school class, <laughs> it's so fun. they're all like you know yeah. engaged and they're asking great questions. Okay, so you've got your grammar section, which is content. You've got the logic in the middle school, and then the the ninth through twelfth grade is what we call the rhetoric. And the rhetoric is when they start to persuasively be so beware persuasively yeah. argue their point of view yeah. once they have the content or the facts, they can logically reason it. Now they can start to persuade other people to come to their point of view. Hmm. And this is by, by 12th grade, they will be writing a 20 page paper of something they're passionate about, but they have to write the paper and then they have to get up and verbally defend it in front of our faculty. So they walk out as, as having gone through this continuum and they walk out as very capable individuals who understand how to learn and then synthesize, analyze, and then, be able to present it to to whomever um, with great strength and confidence. That's fascinating. Um, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. That's my uh, 
my son who's 10 years old came home yesterday and he said, Dad, I can, I can recite the entire Gettysburg Address. I was like, dang, that's pretty cool. So, uh, you know, it's it, to, to challenge them academically, I think, is also something um, that the traditional education is just not getting. It's, it's, it's like we're playing to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. Where um, yeah. I'd rather have them stretched and pulled and obviously supported if they're needing it. But um, you're, the name of the school, Classical Academy de Lafayette. Why that name? Uh, there's a book called um, Why Not Lafayette, which we ended up reading by Jean Fritz. Anything by Jean Fritz is fabulous. Um, she wrote um, more children's literature, but it was all very uh, heavily researched before she wrote it, so it's very accurate. Um, it's exciting, it's engaging, um, but it's history. And um, so we read this book. Um, we happened to be on a homeschooling tour of Monticello and Mount Vernon at the same time. Um, long story short, as we're reading the story of this man who I had never heard of, you know, um, at that time, and most of us don't even know who this guy is. His name is the Marquis de Lafayette. He's from France. He, at 17, um, got married and fell in, at the same time, was falling in love with the American Revolution, the cause of liberty for all mankind. And at 19... He, um, without too much permission, he was an aristocrat, but he, without too much permission, he decided he was going to come over and fight for the cause. And he heard about Washington and he's like, I'm going to go find that guy. So he, he lands in America and he goes north and he, he comes until he finds Washington. They end up becoming very close friends. Um, Washington is a father figure for him because Lafayette did not have a father at that time. He had passed by then. And Washington did not have any children of his own. He had Martha's children, who she came in as a widow, so she they had their children, but he never had his own, and Lafayette became like a surrogate son. Anyway, Lafayette was was an incredibly important part of winning the Revolutionary War um, at the very at the ninth hour. And his story is so inspiring. And what I love about him is that he wasn't homegrown, but he imbibed the the idea of liberty for all mankind. And I feel like education, when you have a true education um, as a foundation for your life, you have liberty mentally. You can, you are free to think and do whatever you want to do. Now, the key, there's a key in our logo. I don't know if you've seen that, but there's a key. That key um, is modeled after the, the key of the Bastille. And the Bastille was a prison in France. Um, it was a, an awful um, symbol of tyranny. Um, it was rat infested and cold and damp and disease ridden and where aristocrats were held. It was eventually torn down. And when it was torn down, the, the people of France gave a key to Lafayette saying, you know, this is we've torn down tyranny. Here's a key to symbolize that it is no longer a part of our this during the time of Louis the 16th. This is no longer a part of hopefully of, we're fighting this just like the Americans were. They were inspired. And so they wanted to have their own revolution. Um, it was for not at that time, but in a, they were in the middle of that. They gave him the key, and he thought, okay, this is the end of tyranny. I'm giving this to Washington. Mm -hmm. So he sends the key over to Washington and now hangs in Mount Vernon. We happen to be visiting Mount Vernon as we're reading the story of Lafayette. Everything kind of pulls together, and I'm like, you know, when, when we were thinking, think, thinking about the school name, it was, it was almost like this key. When you have education that's true, it, it unlocks doors. It, it unslaves you. Mm -hmm. If you know how to think – you don't have shackles on you mm -hmm. and it, it truly can be your survival. You're your, the essence of survival. So the key just seemed 
um, appropriate. Yeah. And in Lafayette, he's if you look around St. Louis, you'll see Lafayette High School, Lafayette Park. You know, there are Lafayettes all over the place, but nobody knows who he is. So it's a it's a mouthpiece I get to talk about him, um, having named the school after him. Yeah. So uh, it reminds me of the the lyric from Bob Marley, "Emancipate yourself from mental slavery." Mm-hmm. Um, like that's, that to me is the, the core foundational purpose of education. Yeah. Um, so no, no man should, should be enslaved, yes. um, mentally or physically. And if you have, if you have the ability to, to, to conjure up ideas and thoughts, you can never be enslaved. You're it's, free. it's a powerful tool and I, you, I love it. I, I know we're running a little short on time, but if I could ask you, um, what kind of, to what degree does a product of your education, your school's education, a student that walks out of there, to what degree do they have an awareness of a social responsibility for those that um, are not as, you know, for, for lack of a better word, privileged, who, who don't have the privilege of a great education, uh, of a family unit, of, um, you know, safety, you know? Um, yeah. What, what role does... Uh, a student from this type of education have to make sure that there's, uh, to, to, you know, to what degree is there a social responsibility? Um, are you asking in terms of how, how we're teaching that or just once their, their own thought about it? What is, what is your, how are you teaching it? You know, that's a great question. And I think it, it goes back to the four virtues that we're teaching every day, which are uh, fortitude, justice, temperance, and, um, prudence. And if you, if you have a character that loves goodness and that loves your fellow man, you're going to want the best for them. So if you have had this education, um, I see it all the time. I mean, these kids come home, like, like Dean comes home and he's like, dad, guess what? He's sharing something good that he loves. And I think inevitably you're going to see as these kids graduate and they go on to college and they go out into the world, they're going to have a love of education. They're going to have a love of goodness and of, of sharing that with mankind. And I think you're going to see a, an exponential ripple effect um, of people wanting to share this. And, and I have, I don't know if it will ever come to be, but I do have in my heart, um, once this chapter is done, I would love to go start the same school idea in North St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Our, I don't know if you knew this. I, I think you do know this, but um, mom taught um, in Glen Ridge, Glen View, Glen Ridge, I think it is, oh, up in North St. Louis. Um, oh, I didn't know I um I actually took a tour of where the school was and um it's it, it was an all white area and then there was they called the white flight and now it's all black area and I've spoken with people who used to live there black people who used to live there and um like you said they don't have the opportunity um and I I think I think that's our form of slavery in this country is that we have pockets of of people who are not allowed the same opportunity and I don't feel that's okay so I feel like kind of once I get this this chapter done and, and, and I am able to, to master this, I could go duplicate it over there. Um, I can't, I'm really excited and hungry to do that. Um, but again, that's, it's, to me, it's kind of a social responsibility. It's my duty to help. And it's, I don't want to say personally my duty, but it's, I want to be a conduit for good. Um, and I'd love to see our kids. I hope that they fall in love with learning and they say, yeah, I want to share this too. I want to go do more good. Um, it it makes you feel good. It feels satisfying. And, and you can't help but not share it. One of the uh, one of the 
greatest experiences that I've had uh, in my career is um, I did some work with a nonprofit called College, um, College Summit, and they help underprivileged students write college essays. And uh, it's a you know weekend program, and so I, I came in as a writing coach. Um, anybody can kind of come in if you have you know a decent education. Kind of come in, and they give you the, the the curriculum, and then you know you hammer out these essays with these kids. And one of the things that I walked away from that was just how much raw talent and yeah. hunger and um, b- uh, that these young kids have. You know that that I was uh, inspired by and that I admired, and I was looking at them. You know, they're just these diamonds in the rough. Um, but also, they're also dealing with. You know, I heard stories of kids that had to. You know, one girl who was maybe 12 years old every day had to go pick up her younger cousin who was seven years old, and then she had to hold her hand and walk through. You know, these various blocks where there were street gangs, and she's like, you know, I dealt with this and people throwing rocks and calling me names. And this, I'm like, damn, you know, these kids are dealing with things that I never had to deal with, and mm-hmm. I have no idea what um, what that experience is like. Except I can see, man, there's a lot of value that that is not being brought to fruition um, because there's not that structure. So that's that's kind of why I bring up that um, yeah. that social responsibility piece because yeah. obviously helping people with the temperance and self-governance mm-hmm. is incredibly valuable because then you're not needing anything from anybody else. On the other right. hand, um, if we're not also teaching how do I reach out and lift up somebody else, then we have a bunch of individuals that are just serving themselves. Well, and I think the temperance goes to the fact that um, it's not all about you. Yeah. That 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 you know, if you don't have temperance, it's all about you. You're you're like, what do I want? Well, I want to play video games all day, and I want to eat all day, and I want to not go to work, and I don't care about anybody but myself. Temperance forces us to to squelch the self, the desire of self. And think outside yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, temperance forces you not to grab the ball out of the person's hands and to be patient and to have a sense of, of um, humility to say it's their turn. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are doing it all the time. And to me, that temperance will be it's not just being an individual who think I, 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 I want to be careful. We don't categorize it that it's an individual who only thinks about themselves. Right. It's an individual who thinks independently but collectively at the same time. I was just going to say those two ideas seem to be often uh, like adversaries, yeah. individual versus collective. It's like, no, uh, no they're complementary. Yes. You don't have a collective without individuals. Uh, you and, know I mean? and if you have a collective that only thinks collectively, that's very dangerous. Yeah. That results in World War II. Yes. You have to have a collective that's unified, but that's independently, all of them are thinkers. Yes. Because they are all like you, like you sitting in that little group there, you know, they were all thinking the same until you came in and plopped this little bomb of, but should we? Right. You know, that's what we need is that thought. And but you're in a collective environment, but you're thinking individually. Mm-hmm. That's what we need. Yeah. And um, and I'm I'm excited to hear that you that you did that. And I I, I love that. I I'm excited to see because I agree there's talent there. They're hungry. And why shouldn't they? And yeah. they should have that opportunity. Excellent. Well, uh, I know you have class to get off to, so uh, we'll wrap this up. But um, Katie, it's obviously very clear that you have uh, a a deep passion for this. And uh, for those that are interested in maybe learning a little bit more about you and or to help support your cause um, through donation, uh, where can they go? 
Um, they can go to our website, which is uh, www.cad, as in uh, Classical Academy de Lafayette. So cadlafayette.com. And uh, they could also uh, give us a call um, from the website. Our phone number's there. And, and so, you know, we'd love to give tours, um, have kids come and visit. Um, we're working on enrollment for next year already. So I'm happy to, happy to sit down and talk with anyone. You have to be educated to spell Lafayette. I know. L A Y L A F A Y E T T E. Okay. Syllabic La Fayette. Got it. Got it. Very good. Katie, thanks again. This was great. Thanks. Bye.